Welcome to Dietitian Boss. I'm Libby Rothschild, your host and fellow dietitian. I'm a coach to my fellow female colleagues all around the world. I help you get leads and turn prospective clients into paying customers using online marketing and social media strategies that focus on sales. Today, I have a special guest, Danielle Liss. She is named one of the top lawyers in Las Vegas in 2018 and 2019. Danielle is passionate about simplifying legal for small business owners. She's the founder and CEO of Business Ease, which offers DIY legal templates. She's the owner of List Legal, where she focuses her practice on helping digital business owners simplify legal. You can find her at businessease.com and businessease on all of these social channels. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you, and I'm excited to also announce that Danielle provides legal consult and advice for me, so I'm happy to be able to have her and share her expertise with all of the listeners, all the dietitians who are interested in learning all things legal today. So I wanted to get right into it and just say for the listeners who are predominantly dietitians, some students, what do we need to know about contracts that we don't know? Honestly, first and foremost, get them. Um, And I know that sounds like very simple advice, but I think it's so important because a lot of people, I think when you're in a business where you are helping and providing a service and it is something that is oftentimes more community-based, I think that sometimes people don't get a contract and it's more of a handshake deal or they don't have a contract that has enough detail. So my The most important piece of advice I can give is to say, make sure you get it in writing every single time. It's there to protect both you and the other parties. It shouldn't ever be something that feels so one-sided that you're like, I'm not comfortable signing this. It should always feel like it's there to guide the relationship and help you determine what the scope of that relationship is. And for the listeners who maybe say, I'm not sure if I'm ready, that sounds good in theory. Do you think starting from any type of business exchange, there should be a contract or when's like the the early, I'm guessing just right away. (laughs) For me, if money is changing hands, that's when I want you to have a contract. There are times if money is not involved where it is a collaboration of some sort, where I'm still going to recommend that you have something in writing. It doesn't always have to be overly formal. I'm never going to be the person who's like, you must have this crazy lengthy 20 page ordeal that no one wants to read, right? Because if you can't read it and understand it, it's going to be really hard oftentimes for the other person. So it's really important to have something that just puts both sides into that comfort zone that you know what's going to happen in your relationship. Absolutely. And also some of those EMRs that I've seen in electronic medical record systems, they have like a, you know, you can check off or like a document that says that you agree, but that's not the same thing as a contract. Is that right? It could be. It depends on how they have it structured, because if it's something, if you are literally just saying, I agree to these terms and you're checking a box, that is not typically going to be a contract. But if it's something where I know every time I'm seeing a new provider, They give me that little thing that I do my electronic signature on and it never looks like my actual signature. So (laughs) if it's something along those lines there, you are likely signing some sort of contract or an acknowledgement. It might be, you know, their notice of privacy practices, whatever the the case might be. 
depend on how it is structured, but even terms and conditions that you're signing, they are a contract of sorts. You are agreeing to those terms and conditions that are going to govern whatever that relationship is. Okay. So then what you're saying, if I'm getting this correct, for an EMR that doesn't have you do an electronic signature that never looks like your signature, but some check check of the box that is is sufficient or it's not the same? You still need a separate document or something that has an electronic signature. That's typically going to be sufficient, but I think it may depend on the specific circumstance and what those terms and conditions cover and what exactly is included there. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. And uh, when on that note, is there anything else that you feel is pertinent for us to understand about contracts as service providers Uh, that, you know, I know you're saying that having one is super important. Anything else that you feel that we didn't cover uh, that the dietitian should know about? Sure. I think that there's always going to be the provisions that are the most important for you to make sure you've got in your contract. Number one, I think is what everybody knows, and that's your payment provisions. How are you getting paid? When are you getting paid? What are you getting paid? What does that look like? And for a dietitian, if you're doing a group program, it may be that you get paid Maybe it's a 50% deposit and then 50% at another point. Or if you are seeing somebody on whatever basis, let's say it's weekly, monthly, et cetera, you may be receiving payment per visit. So I recommend getting really specific about what that looks like. Other aspects that you want to make sure you are covering are what happens if somebody wants to terminate the contract? What does that look like? Are there refunds that are available? If you are doing one-on-one work with a client, what is your cancellation policy? Because that's something I think a lot of people get really frustrated with where they'll say, this client has rescheduled on me 10 times. They never let me know. Do I have to let them keep going with this? Your contract can get really specific and state that if you don't give me 48 hours notice, then you are forfeiting this appointment, but you'll still be charged, et cetera. And then I think the other things that are most important are to get specific about what you are doing for that client. If this is somebody that you are Again, let's use the group practice or group program as an example. If you are not going to be providing them with one-on-one services, you can say, if you want one-on-one services with me at some point, that's a different contract. This only covers the following piece. I think something that happens a lot is called scope creep, where someone may, let's just say they start asking you more questions or demanding more time. And you're like, this isn't part of the contract. I didn't agree to do this. But then you're looking at your agreement and you're like, the agreement doesn't necessarily say that I wouldn't answer 50 emails from you per day. So there you can really start to define, here is what I am available for. Here's what I'm not. And if you need me for more things, I am happy to give you an estimate. That way you can start to prevent some of that scope creep. So I think those are some of the pieces that are going to be the most important. I also think it's just really important Whenever, if I'm talking to mostly dietitians, I'm a lawyer, there's a license that's involved, right? So I think it's always important to make sure that you are doing everything that you can in order to protect that license. As a professional who's giving advice, I think that that's just something else that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, super helpful. And back to the scope creep, just because that sounds really interesting. Is that a legal term I've never heard of? Honestly, I don't think it's a real legal term. It is something that I have heard a lot from consultants and coaches, people who are in that field who say, I have people who are kind of towing the line in terms of what I think they can and can't do. How do I fix that? 
And the best way to fix that is to make sure that your contract is really specific about what's included in your pricing and then making sure you have something that states, this is what it covers. Anything outside of this, you've got to come back and get another estimate for. I love that. I think that is so clear. And there's two things, I guess, two aspects of that. It's number one, having that clear and understanding and defining that. And two, sticking with your boundaries, which I, I know is so difficult for so many of us as I far as enforcing when you think about contracts. Think of them as a way to define your boundaries. I think that that's a really good way to look at it. It's there to define boundaries for both sides. And if you think about bad service experiences that you've had, it may be because those boundaries weren't clear. So your contract really should set it up so that every client experience to me, if you're setting it up properly, should truly be an ideal experience. If you've got everything that you need in there, you can refer back to it. But it also is there to give you the peace of mind where if somebody is kind of not on the right side of the boundaries that you can go back and say, hey, I really appreciate this. I just want to draw your attention to the contract. In there, it says that it's going to take me at least one business day to get back to you. I'm sorry that I didn't respond to you immediately at 1130 on a Saturday night. I was out of town, whatever the case might be. Because we, anyone who's a service provider, I guarantee you has had that client who they want the answer immediately. And I think that just the connectedness of our world right now makes people somewhat more demanding in terms of time. I think that's going to give you the ability to control that relationship a little bit more and make sure that you have the flexibility that you need as a practitioner. Yeah, I really like that perspective. I think it's really helpful. And I, I'm sure that this is getting a lot of the listeners thinking about how to use a, a contract in a different way beyond just the, the legal protection. It's, it's really to enforce what you've created as an offer and, and as the service provider. Uh, so that's really helpful. Segwaying just a little bit, uh, when would you suggest seeking legal advice for the listeners who are wanting to start up? That is such a common question I get asked. I think that what's that old maximum? You don't know what you don't know, right? So if there is something that you're like, I wonder if dot, 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 or if you are entering all the things into Google and you're like, hmm, that's the best time to reach out to an attorney. I think that for most people in the startup phase, there's a handful of things I always tell people to kind of add to your checklist, think about these and see if it's something that you have, don't have, what makes sense for you. And it's, do you need to set up a business entity? So for most people, I think that's often an LLC now, um, corporations, some people do them. It depends on the business and the structure, what makes the most sense. So do you need an LLC? Step two, do you have your contracts buttoned up? And that is both your client contract and for anybody who may be working with you. If you are brick and mortar and you need physical space, do you have everything lined up there? If you are working online, do you have all the website policies that you need? Because I always want to see people protecting themselves and their website. Because if, especially if you're an online business, that is really, that's one of your key assets for your business. So make sure it's protected. And as you move forward, then start thinking about intellectual property. So if you've got um, a novel business name, it might be time to start thinking about a trademark. Or if you have creative materials, it might be time to think about filing for some copyright applications. Depending on what you're doing, that is often a next step. So that's when we're talking about those four, I typically tell people, make sure you've got the other three really well-defined, and then you can start thinking about intellectual property. Unless, of course, you are launching as 
a really novel name, or if you are doing let's say you're launching an online course and you wanted to make sure that you had all your copyright protection, then you can dive into that sooner rather than later. So sometimes it can depend on what you as a business are offering. Yeah, it's really helpful. And I love how you have that stepwise approach of what to focus on first, A before B before C. It makes a lot of sense in most cases. I think that's helpful. And what about um, basic questions to ask an attorney when you're starting out? Is there any kind of any particular thing or, or concept question that you think would be most helpful? I don't know that there's a specific question. I think for a lot of people, it can depend on what your own understanding is. What I think is the absolute most important is as you're reading your contract, you need to know what your contract says. And I want you to understand what your contract says. So if you get a contract in your hands and you're like, seems okay, but you have no clue what those words mean, it's really important that you know exactly what you are signing. Let's say that you are an RD who is doing, let's say you're doing content creation for a company and they are asking you to do a really broad likeness release that they are going to include with the, let's say you're creating a recipe for them and they want to say it is featured by Jane Smith RD. Okay. If they say they want to do a likeness release, that's fine. That's very typical. It might be that they want to put your image by it. They may want to list your name by it. But how can they use that? So is it that they can use it forever and ever? Can they only use it as it is related to that content? Is it only that they can use it on digital? What happens in X, Y, and Z scenario? So it's just really important to be able to start to navigate those. So I think that those are some of the things that I want you to ask your attorney. And I promise you, there is no dumb question for your attorney, because I can promise you, I would be asking you the most ridiculous nutrition questions. And I do, okay? Those are the kind of, so please don't ever feel like, oh my gosh, I should know this. I'm gonna pretend I know what it means. Absolutely not. Get in there and learn exactly what you need. So that way, if a client comes to you and asks you about your contract, you can then explain it to them and feel comfortable that you know what you're talking about as well. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful and and yeah, ask all the questions that come to you and understanding a legal document. I mean, I can say from personal experience, there's definitely been times uh, I've asked you know Danielle to help me clarify certain aspects of a contract because I don't understand it, and I I think yeah, it's important to put your pride aside. I find contracts a little confusing sometimes. So everyone does. <laughs> I mean, if contracts were easy to understand, half of the time there would be no lawsuits, right? So I think that that is, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a hard concept or that it speaks less of you. I guarantee all of you are likely experts in your field. You do not have to be an expert. (laughs) Absolutely everything. So definitely take advantage of working with an attorney to make sure you have a really solid understanding of what you are committing to, particularly if you are entering into an agreement with a larger company, for example. So it may be something where you're not providing the contract, the company that you're working with is providing a contract to you. Make sure it's clear because one thing I think is really, really important to mention, contracts are often there to be negotiated. It is so unusual in most other aspects of the business world to take a contract and sign it right away without asking questions. So if you are negotiating something where it's going to be a longer term engagement, let's again, I'm going to use that you're creating content for a company and they're engaging you for six months, et cetera. 
it's okay to go back to them and say, hey, I need the following changes. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you sign that draft and that's it. And it can even be something where if you're hiring a VA who's going to work for you part-time virtually, you can negotiate the contract that they may have too, or you can ask to provide your own version of that agreement. Yeah. And that's something that I did with Danielle. So I hadn't done that before, but now for my team, when I have people on my team, I absolutely make sure that those contracts are negotiated. So they're fair for both people, but I have like my own company standards and policies. And if you're going to be on my team, like there are certain things that need to be satisfied. So I, it's definitely something I didn't know or implement earlier on in my business. So I do think that's a good lesson for I'd say anybody, but more so for the dietitians down the line who are considering that. I think uh, some of the newer dietitians might not experience negotiating a contract as much as those who have been in practice maybe a little bit longer. Or would you say that contract negotiation off the bat is something that people should be prepared about? I would say be prepared for it, even if it's not something that you have to do right off the bat. Sometimes it's those smaller first jobs that you may have no clue what's coming at you in the contract. So let's say you've built a good presence on whether it is your blog, on your Instagram, wherever, and somebody comes to you and they want to do a sponsored partnership. Those contracts get confusing, especially when it's talking about the rights that you're granting to the content that you create. So it could be that it's a smaller dollar contract. It could be, you know, let's say $250, $500, depending on where you are in your business. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the dollar amount is dictating it. I would say just make sure that you know what those terms look like and what's important to you. Yeah, that's really helpful. I guess I I didn't think of it as simple as a small job would need as much attention, but it makes sense the way you explain it and, and those terms. And for all different types of situations, whether you're doing a job, like you said, and it writes to the content or you're, you know, it's service provider and you're just trading time for time for dollars. All right. So that, that kind of leads us into those of you who are listening, who are in more of a growth phase. Is there any different advice that you would, or services that maybe a lawyer could help at a point where you're not in the starting phase, but you're more intermediate or advanced in your journey? What I find happens when people are in the growth phase of their business, they don't want to do it themselves anymore. So what I find is most startups want to try to DIY a little bit more. And for most people, what they realize once they're in that growth phase is I don't want to do this myself. I want to hire. So there, I think it's important to make sure you find a lawyer who can help you, who can answer those questions and know what you need to delegate. So if you are somebody who deals in a high volume of contracts, and you don't want to have to review them, you can hire a lawyer who will review them and send you revisions. Some attorneys will directly talk to whomever the other side is and get everything lined up for you. If you are hiring a lot, that is something that I often get questions about from people who are in that growth phase. Because when you're in that growth phase and can't necessarily manage it all anymore for yourself, you often need a team. You need people to help you with that. So that is a big time when people are starting to expand that eyes come in and we can walk through, you know, here is, I need this role, this role, and this role figured out. How do those roles differ? Because sometimes like one of the things that we talked about is making sure that you've got the contracts for everybody on your team, but not every role may necessarily need the exact same agreement. Sometimes they're going to vary a little bit. So it can be really helpful to talk to your attorney, make sure you know, okay, 
I have this person coming in who's doing X, this person who's doing this other thing, what's different? Like if you're hiring a virtual assistant who's creating images for you for social media, that's a very different role than if you are hiring another RD for your team who's gonna see patients. So those are gonna be two different types of agreements. So just make sure you're thinking about the role, not just, oh, I need contract, right? So there's gonna be different versions of the things that you need. Super helpful tip because I think that's an easily overlooked concept and, and understanding the scope of each of those roles and, and then how that could, you know, managing risk for each of those roles and then making, again, it's all about having protection for both parties. Excellent. Uh, what contracts do you recommend? So I think that some of the contracts are the most important. And of course, this is going to vary depending on your business, right? So I think that if you are someone who is in practice, I think that you want to make sure that you have a client agreement for the people that you are working with. I, you, of course, want to make sure that you have whatever HIPAA coverage is needed. So likely a notice of privacy policies. If you are hiring depending on what the role is, you want to make sure you've got agreements that you can work with there. So if it's a virtual assistant, have an, a VA agreement. If you're hiring another RD who's going to be working with you, have something there. So I think it might depend on what exactly you are doing. I think the other contract to keep in mind is what we talked about a little bit earlier is those terms and conditions for your website and your privacy policy. And one thing that's super important for dietitians is having a disclaimer because you, you've got that license, right? So what you can do with that license is to give people advice. So you want to make sure, this is the example I always use, but it's always relevant. Whenever I'm sick, I visit Dr. Google to see whatever symptoms and whatever disease I have now contracted. And everywhere you look, because you know I end up on WebMD, everywhere you look there, it will be like, this is for informational purposes only. We're not your doctor, Danielle. So when you have that, you want to have something similar for yourself so that it's clear, you know, the advice or the information on your site is not advice that you can only give advice in a one-on-one -on -one setting, that you need a contract in order to do that, that they should still talk to their medical provider prior to making any changes to their diet. So there's a lot of things that I think are also really important to protect yourself with your website, just to be sure that you're not going to have any liability there and that somebody's not going to try to say, well, you were giving me advice on this. Nope. I was just giving you information, how you implement it. That was not my responsibility. Yeah. That's a, a really, really helpful tip. Very helpful. And then I also wanted the listeners to know that uh, Danielle and I do have an affiliate uh, relationship together. So in order to uh, get the contracts in a bundle that uh, we have our agreement for, you can check out the show notes on this episode and have some of the contracts that Danielle's talking about available so that you can make sure that you are that your business is risk-proof and you can look over and see what, uh, you know, what you need to add or what you need if you don't have anything available from Danielle through my link. Anything else you want to say about what's included or anything that's sure. available? I think that one of the things that I think is great about DIY contracts is it gives you a lot of flexibility. With the forms that we create at businesses, I don't want you to think it's one size fits all because with those forms, there's still a lot of flexibility for you to customize. And I also don't want people to feel nervous about the customization process. So with every form, there is an explainer video that walks you through 
every paragraph to give you an idea of what is contained in that paragraph and how you may need to modify it and walks you through. So the idea of the choose your own adventure contract. So if there's a paragraph that has a bunch of different options, that video is going to kind of walk you through like, here's where you could use this option. Here's where you could use this option. And it gives you some guidance so that it makes it a little bit easier. And again, if you've got questions that come in about those contracts, we want to be sure that you're able to answer those confidently. Super helpful. And for those listeners who are not in the United States, just so that we're clear here, can people who are in Canada, Australia, other countries, can they use the contracts that are going to be linked here in the show notes and from business ease? Or do they, I'm assuming, I just want to make sure we're clear here that they need to seek uh, you know, advice from their country. Can you just clarify that? Yes. These contracts have been drafted under general US law principles. There are aspects that will be, you can use them in other countries. However, there is no guarantee that those will be the same terms. So in that case, if you've got one of the contracts, then I say usually check with a lawyer who is in your area, who knows what the local laws are, just to make sure that you are not stating anything that you shouldn't. Yeah. So that, that's, that's helpful. So what you're saying is that the contracts can be helpful and to double check them to make sure that they, they stand with any kind of like country laws. Absolutely. Okay. Wonderful. And uh, one important question, a couple important questions about mistakes, because I might have listeners who uh, will have had openly made mistakes when it comes to not having a contract and feeling duped or having a situation uh, that didn't pan out in their favor. So what are some of the mistakes that you've seen entrepreneurs or other dietitians make when it comes to legal contracts, anything under what we're discussing today? I think that the biggest mistake that I see is something that's pretty generic and that's ignoring it. Don't ignore your legal. And I think that, you know, my canned answer to this is be proactive, not reactive. It can cost so much money for even a small lawsuit. Like a small lawsuit is typically going to be five to 10 grand if it's like, and that's right off the bat. So it's going to be better for you to invest at the onset to avoid any issues going down the road. In terms of more specific mistakes, I think that the biggest that I see is not entering into a contract or not entering into the right contract um, because there can be a lot of questions about terms and they'll just say, oh, they just gave it to me and I signed it and it's good, right? And it, Sometimes. So I think that that can be a really big one is just to make sure that you are reading the contract, that it makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense to you, ask for revisions. Please don't be afraid to ask for revisions. The worst thing that's going to happen is someone will say no. And then you can make your decision from there based on all the information, but it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah, I think that's that's a really helpful proactive tip that I'm sure many of the listeners are going to be, I hopefully, I hope excited about because it's as simple as just thinking about contracts and again, being proactive and then understanding if you're not, it's going to catch up to you. So there's a lot of things with like website terms and conditions and even just basic like agreements with clients that a lot of people that I work with don't have understandably. So (laughs) this conversation comes up all the time. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I think the most important aspect of it is that it's not, it doesn't have to be scary. So even if I look at it and I'm like, I don't want to learn how to deal with I don't know, macros or whatever the case might be. Those types of things might seem daunting to me. Don't let the legal feel overwhelming to you. Oftentimes it's an investment that you make early on 
that will help you prevent a much larger investment later on. And I think that's really the key to remember. It's it's an investment in your business, but it's also something that will give you that peace of mind to feel protected. And I always joke with people, I am like the least risk. I am so risk averse. Like I am not the risk taker at all. So I will be the person who's like, no, I'm going to have every insurance policy I can ever think of. I'm going to have all the things in place. So if you're not like me, you're like, I'm just going to do what my thing. I urge you to at least make sure you've got the contracts and just make sure that you have kind of crossed all of those T's, dotted all those I's to make sure that you have that basic legal foundation that you need. Yeah, fantastic. In addition to having that basic legal foundation that you've just discussed, is there anything else that either, you know, beginner practitioners, those who are just starting out or more of those who identify in a growth phase Um, How can they, is there anything else that dietitians in in those two phases can do to protect themselves and their business? Ask questions. Never take anything just at face value. Now, I am the ultimate question person. I will ask 50 questions about literally everything that's in front of me, probably much to my husband's dismay sometimes. But I think that it is, it's really important to make sure at any phase of business that you are in, that you understand what you are signing, what you are doing, why you are doing it, and don't don't just move forward for no reason. So always know why you are doing something. And as long as you've got that foundation, I think that that's good for all stages of business. I think that things get the most confusing when we ignore things or when we don't understand things. I'll be the first person to say, I hate bookkeeping like so much, but you can't ignore it, right? Like you still got to get it done. So sometimes you just have to delegate it out. And that's the first thing I do at all times is be like, I need to hire a bookkeeper before I've got an LLC. I'm like, can I get my bookkeeper lined up? So just make sure that you are hitting those problem areas. So if you know that, you know, contracts are not your thing, make sure that you've got somebody that you can ask questions about the contract. Or if you know that you are thinking about expanding, let's say, You've been working with patients, but you're thinking about expanding into an e-commerce model where you are offering programs online or you are offering ebooks, things like that. That's going to be a pretty big pivot for your business, right? So just make sure that you've thought through like, okay, does my insurance need to be modified? Do I need to let them know that I'm adding on some different product lines? Do I need to make changes to my website to deal with this? The answer there is yes, Um, because you would want to make sure that you've got all the right policies in place. So just as you're iterating and pivoting in your business, as you're growing, just keep asking questions and just kind of take a step back. I personally love the idea of auditing and planning your business so that you can just take a step back periodically. I know a lot of people will talk about the CEO days and things like that. Just take a look in your business, work on the business itself and say, okay, what questions do I have about where I'm going? Are there things that I think I'm going to need? And then reach out to the professionals that can best help you with the answers to those. Super helpful and important. Thank you so much for, for that advice. All right. As we wrap up today, I just want to remind the listeners that we do have uh, an affiliate relationship. So if you check out uh, the link in the show notes and see what types of contracts can help for you and your business and in your stage. And then of course you can find Danielle at business ease on social media and at businessease.com. As we wrap up, Danielle, is there anything else you want to leave us with tonight or today's mm-hmm. episode? 
No, I would just say, don't be afraid of it. It really doesn't have to be scary, I promise. And the more that you know about the legal side of the business, I think the less scary it becomes as you move forward and grow. Yeah, very, very helpful and inspiring tips and, and, and words of advice. Thank you for listening. The next step to continue pursuing your journey includes applying to my next group program. You can find that on my website under group coaching and apply. You can also grab my free workbook, also listed on my website and go through the exercises so that you can get more clear with your marketing plan, which is going to help you get one step closer to creating the money and impact that you deserve.